On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space. The biggest advice I can give is don't wait. Find support early. Do your investigation. Join a support group. Have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C because nothing goes the way you expect. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Okay, lady, today we have a very special guest who's going to be covering an extremely important topic that's probably not talked about enough. So let's jump on in. Pamela D. Wilson is a caregiving expert, advocate, and speaker based in Denver, Colorado. For more than 20 years, she has supported older adults and caregivers in the roles of care manager, professional fiduciary, and subject matter expert. This unique experience serves as Wilson's platform to increase awareness of caregiving as an essential role in life and to support individuals of all ages to navigate healthcare systems and the related financial and legal choices that impact access to care. Wilson hosts and produces the Caring Generation podcast and answers questions from caregivers on her YouTube channel. She is the author of The Caregiving Trap, Solutions for Life's Unexpected Changes, and she's the creator of the online course, Support Caring for Aging Parents. She can be contacted through her website, Pamela D. Wilson. Pamela, welcome to Cultivating Her Space. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. You're so welcome. We're so excited for this conversation. Yes, it is. Like Terry mentioned earlier, it is a much-needed conversation that everyone goes through in life, but doesn't really talk about it enough. So we are going to start with our quote of the day. Now, Pamela... You have a podcast, you have a YouTube channel, you have a book. So we've been doing our research and you give lots of insight and wisdom. But this quote is super simple, but so powerful. And these are your words. Being a caregiver. It's hard. Again, super simple, but so powerful. So, Pamela, when you hear that quote, your words, what what comes up for you? Just all of the struggles that mainly women go through in life. And, and when we think of caregiver, it's not only 
parents. It's, it's raising children. It's aging parents. It's a spouse. It's grandparents. It's everybody. And it is such hard work. And the caregivers who do this are not recognized for their efforts. And they're, in many cases, just not appreciated, honestly. And so oftentimes we, we think about caregiving in terms of taking care of our aging parents. But you just pointed out that it's also about caring for children. And so can we just, just kind of operationalize some of the words that we'll be using today? And can you tell us what is the, how do you define caregiving or versus caretaking? Caregiving to me is a really broad subject. So, and, and caregivers come from all walks of life, right? It's, it's us, it's women, but caregivers are doctors. Caregivers can be, believe it or not, somebody at the bank who's watching over an older adult. So it, so when we think of caregiving, it's kind of like, well, it should be this balanced effort, right? It's not, though. Let's just be honest. There's no balance in caregiving. But in a perfect world, it's this balance of, you know, I give, you take, we're helping each other. But then when you get in the caretaking, that is a whole, I call it an environmental factor, right? Because we all grow up in our cultures, in our families, where we live, whether it's Denver, Colorado, or Los Angeles, or New York. And those environments have a huge effect on us and the expectations of our families and our parents. So some people who are caretakers take it to a whole different level because they feel a lot of guilt, a lot of responsibility. Oh, I'm this martyr. I have to do this. I don't have a choice. And it becomes this negative. It just ruins your self-esteem, right? You feel like you can't do anything right and you've lost control and, and your life just goes down the wrong path. Thank you for that, Pamela. And we'd love to also kind of ground ourselves in this conversation by learning about your experience with caregiving and how you became an expert on the subject. And then we'll dive in a bit deeper after that. Sure. So so my two-minute story, when I was young, I was the youngest of six kids. And I hung around older people and I loved them. I mean, they were so kind to me and so dear. And so that gave me a love for older adults. And then when I got out of high school, I actually had a social work scholarship that I didn't take. But it was a good thing because I went into corporate America and learned marketing and business planning and all of that. And my parents passed away within four years of each other and my oldest brother. And then I had a sister killed in a car accident. So so midlife, I had all these losses and I'm like, oh, I'm not really doing anything to help people. I don't feel like I'm doing anything rewarding. I was working in consumer products in LA at the time. And so I just started investigating like, how could I help older people? Because that's really what I wanted to do, you know, when I was 17 or 18. And I just did a career change. And I went back and got a lot of education. I started two companies, I sold two companies, I do education now, and just a number of other things in the healthcare system. So really, personal life experience and then taking care of thousands of older adults and working with caregivers and continuing to do that today. Wow. And so that's such a, a unique experience in terms of like your path to being in this space and being a caregiving expert. And so in all of your years of experience, 
I mean, I'm just going to jump right in. <laughs> like, it's all of your years of experience. What were you, what would you say are some of the top things that families and individuals don't consider when it comes to caring for aging parents? There is so much. And I'm going to speak about women, okay? Because I'm, I'm pro-women here. <laughs> women do not consider the effect on their lives. They want to be the caregivers. They want to take care of everybody, right? But there are huge financial impacts and huge health impacts. A lot of women, and there's statistics on this, so you can find it. But I mean, they yep. spend a lot of time out of the workforce you know, to raise children and then maybe they go back to work and then all of a sudden a parent needs care and they're thinking, oh, I need to quit my job again. And then maybe the husband gets sick. You know, the problem is at end of life, the women are left with no money and nobody to take care of them. That is the short story. And so, so women have to be a little more selfish, in my opinion, to navigate this whole caregiving role. Hey, lady, it's Terry here. Dom and I want to take a moment to thank you for choosing to listen to our podcast. We love you for real, and we want to give you a chance to learn more about what's important to us. So tell us what you think about this. Imagine a world where you have a chance to get featured on the Cultivating Her Space podcast and share your business, brand, or perspective with millions around the globe. Imagine joining our monthly virtual video check-ins where you can connect with like-minded Black women like you and share your ideas and episode suggestions with Terry and I. Now I want you to imagine a world where you're in the exclusive Cultivating Her Space Sanctuary Slack channel, and throughout your day and week, you are conversing with us about what's happening in your life and sharing funny gifts and your personal wins. How does that sound? Hopefully this is up your alley, lady, because we are taking things to the next level this year, and we're doubling down on investing in our community. That means you. Yay. We want to meet you, connect with you, and create communities of genuine women who love on Black women and push our culture and movement forward. We launched this podcast in 2019, and to date, we have not missed a week. We've been great stewards of our platform, all while working full-time and navigating our own ups and downs. We release fresh new content every single Friday, like clockwork, and we have hundreds of valuable episodes and workshops that can really help you uplevel your life. So if you love our mission or you've gotten value from us, we invite you to give back and help us push this community effort forward. Visit herspacepodcast.com and click Patreon. You can learn more about our goals and exclusive offerings on Patreon, and we highly highly encourage you to join the sister frontier so that you can get some one-on-one time with us. We also have an option for you to donate on a one-time basis if that meets your needs. Again, herspacepodcast.com and you can click that link that says Patreon. All right, lady. We'll hop right back into the conversation. That's powerful. And we can probably dive into that deeper in just a bit because I feel like there's a a bunch of other questions that we're going to have around that. But Pamela, can we talk about, I don't know, this may be taboo, but can we talk about how one can process the complex emotions that accompany caregiving? I'm thinking like guilt, regret, frustration, anger, or even just like the desire for relief from the situation, whatever that relief might look like, right? Mm -hmm. You might not even want to say what that particular 
relief outcome is, but it's like, I just want this to be over. Like, over. Huh? How does one process? Maybe you can elaborate. I missed any of those feelings, but can we talk about how one can process those as well? You know, one of the ways is to actually talk about it. So I have, I have caregiving groups and you have to find people that you can say, oh, this sucks, or I hate my mother today, or my dad is driving me absolutely crazy, or my siblings are just not helping. You have to be able to be okay talking about it. Mm. But then you also have to do this mental shift up here that says, okay, I'm frustrated and I'm angry. What am I going to do about it? You have to find a way to positively go lose yourself somewhere. So I lose myself at the gym. I lose myself on the hiking trail. I lose myself snowshoeing. You have to find a positive outlet for all of that frustration because it will make you physically and mentally sick. It's proven. So you got to find something, whether it's the Bible. I mean, I don't care what it is. You got to find something positive if you can. Those are great pro tips. Thank you. Yes, that's so important. So I think about, you know, I come from a family with multiple siblings, right? And as you have pointed out, that a lot of the caretaking falls on the women. And there are statistics out there that say that it is typically the daughter and most times the eldest daughter who is most active in caretaking for aging parents. But a lot of us have complicated relationships with our parents, right? And so tell us about what that, what you've seen in terms of families navigating when there's multiple siblings navigating the caregiving and caretaking for their aging parents. As you mentioned, a lot of it comes down to, and I'm going to say early childhood relationships. So in my family, there were six kids, 17 years difference between all of us, right? So, so basically, each child experienced our parents at different times in our parents' lives and different things that our parents were going through. So, so depending on your childhood and your relationship with your parents, good, bad, you know, they told you you couldn't do all these things. Maybe your parents had substance abuse or Maybe they were in prison. I mean, there's just a whole span of things, right? Those relationships in our childhood impact whether we are going to be that caregiver when we're older. And this is what siblings do not understand. And, and I got, I mean, there's a lot of family secrets out there too. So, you know, parents don't want to share stuff. Kids don't want to share stuff. <laughs> you never know what the experiences were with your siblings, with your parents. And maybe they don't want to tell you. But what I can tell you is if they are not showing up, there is a reason that they are not showing up to be that caregiver. And it's easy as a, a brother or a sister to want to judge your siblings and say, oh, my brother's horrible. My sister's horrible. They won't help. But you know what? They have set their boundaries. They know what they can do and they know what they can't do. So if you're in that situation as a sibling, you can get your siblings together and say, hey, we have to take care of mom and dad. What can you do? You know, if you don't want to visit them, can you call them once a week? Or if you have a really good job, could you contribute some money? You don't have to see them. You don't have to talk to them. I'll manage everything. But what can you do? 
And sometimes it may be nothing because maybe they're raising kids and they've got a job and they just can't do it. But you have to ask and ask more than once. That is such a great tip there because I never even thought about the different ways in which people can support to kind of make it a holistic experience where everyone's contributing. So that is such a great gem. Thank you so much for sharing that, Pamela. You're welcome. Now, can we go back to selfish, right? Being selfish. You said sometimes women need to be more selfish. What does that look like? You talked a bit about, you know, some best practices on sort of balancing out the caregiving. So finding things, positive outlets, right? Talking about those mm-hmm. those complex feelings that one might have. What are some other ways in which people can be selfish when they're in the midst of a caregiving relationship? You know, one of, so there's two ways. One is learning to say no, which is very hard for caregivers, especially, you know, women, yes, but caregivers like the guilt, all of that stuff. They feel like they can't say no. It's being really realistic about your time and your life and your health. Somebody asked me to do something today and I said, oh my gosh, my calendar is just so full the next two weeks. I can't, right? So so caregivers underestimate the amount of time something takes, right? You may think, oh, I'm going to take mom or dad to the doctor. And like eight hours later, oh my God, you've been to the doctor. You had to go to the pharmacy. You had to go pick up groceries. They needed something else at the store. So you're just like, oh my God, I've been doing this all day. I'm exhausted. So it's, so it's really realizing your time and your ability to get things done with everything else that you have to do. You got kids, you got a job, you got a husband, whatever. And being able to say, I'd love to do it, but it doesn't fit into my calendar. And also ask other people to help because caregivers want to believe that they have, nobody else can do it as good as I can. You know, no people are going to say no. But the bigger thing is the person that you care for help them to be more independent, right? So so a lot of caregivers will jump in and they'll start doing all these things for their parents that the parents can still do, but the caregiver can do it faster, quicker, better, right? So then the parent becomes more dependent on the caregiver. So basically, you're training your parents to need you more, to rely on you more, to not be able to do anything. And that is not what you want to do because that affects you, right? Wow. Oh. That is such a good point that people often don't think about. And so the question that that brought up for me was, I've seen situations where the adult children all live in different places. So nobody lives in the same place as the aging parent, right? And now all of a sudden, the parent needs care. and. Then there's the argument around, well, I'm I'm agreeing to care for my parent, but I have a family of young children. I'm not going to uproot my children. My parent is going to have to come wherever I am. In your experience, how is how is the what or what is the healthiest way? For families to navigate that type of dynamic and situation. So it depends, every situation is different, first of all. Mm-hmm. And it depends on, so I've seen both ways. I've seen ways where parents lived, let's say here in Denver, Colorado, and the kids were all over the country. And, and if there's money, right, you can hire a private care manager. I used to do that yeah. in my company. We would take care of people's parents and the kids lived all over the country and we would take them to the doctor appointments and do all that. 
But that's not possible for everybody, right? So what you may be able to do is hire just a caregiver, right? If your parents just need a few things like, you know, maybe some housekeeping or meals or whatever. And then start having those conversations to say, you know, mom or dad, I have a life. And this is not going to get easier. Let's talk about it. And let's talk about the legal things, power of attorney, medical and financial. What do you want if you get really sick? Are you willing to move? And, and you know, which child, right? If people live in five states, where do you want to go? What do you want? Sometimes the parents will say, you know what? I have lived here all my life. I'm, I'm not moving, so we got to figure something out. Or they'll be willing to move to where one of the children is. Now, here's the catch on that. Every state is different as far as Medicaid, which is a service for older adults who don't have a lot of money and the kids can't pay for care, right? So when you look at who, which child in which state, you really want to do research on how elder care is handled in that state, how it's reimbursed if parents don't have money. Because some states are more favorable than others. So you just don't make the move. You've got to do your research. I want to ask you really quick, Pamela, what are some of the states that have like the best care or the best options? If you had to name like the top three to five. So I will tell you the most progressive states. Okay. California, New York, Oregon, Washington, Illinois, North Carolina, They're the most progressive in saying, we need an aging plan, right? We've got to do something. We have an aging population. We need supports. And so their Medicaid programs, which come under different names in California, it's Medi-Cal, Cal-Aim. But but they're doing a lot of, of progressive things to help older adults and the caregivers because they see it's a problem. Mm Mm-hmm. That's so good. Okay, Dom. Yeah. I feel like we. I, I feel like I want to just. We should just rapid fire with Pamela. Like get all the gems. <laughs> well, did you have another question, Dom? I did. Okay. I did. So my my next question is about. So we talked about situations where there's multiple siblings, right? But I have several friends who are only children, mm-hmm. and have two parents to take care of. And, and I think particularly about my single friends who have aging parents. So that, so they don't have a partner to assist in this process. And so what are some of the things that they should be taking into consideration as they are caring for their parents by themselves? Early on, you have to have the conversation. Don't just start being that caregiver and not discuss how do we pay for your care when I can't do it? Who's going to care for you when I can't do it? Because I would have so many parents who would come to me and they'd say, oh, you know, I I know I'm going to need some help and and my kids are going to do it. And I'm like, well, have you asked your kids? And they're like, no, we just expect them to do it. I'm like, no, 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 no. You've got to have those conversations. So reverse it. If you're that only child, you've got to have those conversations because you don't want to be that only child who, and and it happens, who gives up your life and your job and you're living in your parents' house and their money is supporting you and, and they die and you can't get back into the workforce and you have not saved for retirement and you have no way to take care of yourself and you're sick because you cared for your parents. So now you're disabled. I mean, it happens. It's a train wreck. So you got to have the conversations early on 
Who's going to care for you? How much money is there? We need a plan. We need legal. It's just so good. Okay. Another question, Pamela. In your opinion, what are some of the common misconceptions about caregiving that you can either debunk or clarify for the listeners? That caregivers do not have power. Okay. So, so I was talking to a lady the other day and she is power of attorney for her mom, right? And she's like, well, I didn't realize I could like complain. I'm like, well, of course you can complain. <laughs> I'm like, you can even fire the doctor. So, so the misperceptions are, and this is, so you have to be in a position of, you know, power of attorney gives you a little more leeway, right? But yep. you can hire, you can fire, you can help your parents make decisions about their care. Don't let the healthcare system, and this is hard to do, right? Intimidate you or tell you that your parents can get care or, mm. or act like they know more than you do. Because here's the problem, right? You know more about your health and your parents' health. And if you, allow them to make a choice for you, when you know it's wrong, it could harm your parent. I mean, I've had to advocate for people in hospitals where doctors are like, oh, honey, they're too old. Just let them, let them pass away. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm legally Whoa, responsible. What? You are not wow. going to be biased or deprioritize the care of an older person because you have a 20-year-old who needs an IC, ICU bed. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Wow. Mm. This stuff happens. There's a lot of older people are disposable and caregivers have to, you got to like take your power, know what you're doing and learn how to advocate because one day you're going to be that older person. Do not let the healthcare system do that to you. Wow. Okay. So speaking of when we become that older person, right? And I keep thinking, like, if the questions keep coming, because I think about, like, situations that, like, my friends and family are in, right? So let's say that you're the older person and you never married, you don't have any children. What does caretaking look like for the person who is single? You have to plan early and, and you've got to find people to take care of you, okay? Or who can at least help out. So so I'll use my prior, prior role as a care manager and as a power of attorney. I had plenty of, interestingly, older women who had no children and never married. They lived their lives. They were in a good, you know, good position. They saved and everything. But they needed somebody who could advocate for them if they could not, okay? So I was retained as the medical and the financial power of attorney. And I helped pay their bills and I helped them make medical decisions when they needed to. You know, I didn't overstep my boundaries. I let them do as much as they could. But, but you have to find somebody, whether it's a friend or a professional, to be able to do this for you. Because what happens if you get Alzheimer's or dementia or you're in a car accident and, and you don't want to be kept alive by machines? You have to have somebody who can step in and say, mm -mm, this person did not want that. Or this person did want that care. Because in lieu of that, unfortunately, the healthcare system takes over. Mm -hmm. This is, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I think one of the points you just made, Pamela, it reminded me that this is not something that's just for the elderly, right? Like you could literally, anyone could be in a car accident tomorrow and it could change the trajectory of your life. And so I think it's just such a timely conversation, but also something that can impact anyone that's Everybody. listening. So, 
you kind of touched on this earlier, but can you talk more about some of the recurring themes that you notice in the caregiving journey? You talked about women primarily being, you know, caregivers a lot more than men. Any other things that you noticed with all of your experience? Caregivers will wait and wait and wait to get help and search for resources. So I would have people that would come to my office and they'll be like, oh, you know, I was going to call you six months ago. I saw you speak. I was at an event. I get your newsletter. I watch your YouTube videos. But now it's really bad. (laughs) I'm like, why did you wait? So caregivers will just like keep going and going and going. And and they wait until they're so burned out and so exhausted and so resentful and angry to do something. The biggest advice I can give is don't wait. Find support early. Do your investigation. Join a support group. Have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C because nothing goes the way you expect. Hey, lady, are you ready to get a head start on your holiday shopping this year? Well, guess what? We've got something special for you. And it's all about self-care and gifting your loved ones the perfect present. But before we dive in, let us introduce you to Osea, a brand we absolutely love. Lady, get into it, okay? Osea is not just any skincare brand. It's clean, vegan, and cruelty-free. And it's been making waves since 1996 as a female-founded and family-operated business. And what sets them apart is their commitment to being ocean-positive and climate-neutral, making a real impact on our planet, and also making a real impact on this body. Because, Dom, let me tell you, I'm very particular about what I put on my face and what I put on my skin because I have very sensitive skin, and child been trying to get this skin clear and clean for a long time. And so I absolutely love their products. My favorite product is the Undaria Algae Body Butter. Okay, lady, let me just tell you, let me give you the visual. Close your eyes and just imagine this with me. It comes in this beautiful glass jar. The jar alone lets you know, oh, this is luxury. Like this right here, this is high quality. This beautiful glass jar, when you open the jar, there is this luscious, thick, creamy body butter that smells so good. It has like a lemony type of scent to it, in my opinion. And it just goes on so smooth. Some of the key benefits are anti-aging and also hydrating. And Dom, when I tell you I'm obsessed, like I love this for real. (laughs) What about you? What's your favorite product? Well, let me tell you about that body butter's partner, the body oil. It is clinically proven to instantly improve the look of your skin elasticity and leaves your skin incredibly glowy. And when I tell you glowy, I mean glowy for hours. I put some on early this morning, and here we are more than 12 hours later. My skin still feels hydrated, still looks dewy and moist and glowy. Let's just go on ahead and weed out the noise and talk about how you can get ahead of your holiday shopping. For a limited time, you can get 10% off with our code HERHOLIDAY. That's right. Her holiday. Be sure to use the link in our show notes. Osea has some limited holiday sets that you don't want to miss out on. And the best part, you can get ahead of your holiday shopping and enjoy amazing savings. So if you're looking for the perfect gift for the beauty gurus, the clean beauty lovers, or anyone on your list, Osea's got you covered. You can even conquer your gift list by getting two sets for your two besties, all right? Just go ahead and get two sets for your two besties. It's a win-win. Use code HERHOLIDAY at oseamalibu.com or click the link in our show notes. 
Okay. <laughs> I'm playing A, B, and C. Now, lady, if you're listening and you often find yourself flying by the seat of your pants and not even having a plan A, you got to be prepared. And so, Pamela, we know, speaking of preparation, you've already mentioned that caregiving can be expensive. And so... When I think about some of our listeners that might be in their 20s and their 30s, what are things that they can start doing now to be financially ready when it comes to having to take care of parents or take care of themselves as they age? Thank you for asking that. I just did a video on this the other day. So if you are young and healthy and you can, or if your workplace offers long-term care insurance, get it. In most cases, if you're young and healthy, it's no more than your car insurance, right? And you're thinking, oh, I don't want to pay into this, you know. But it gives you so many choices when you're older because it pays for the things that Medicare doesn't pay for. The earlier, and this is going to sound crazy, right? But the earlier that you learn about Medicare and what it pays for and what it doesn't for yourself and for your parents, the better. Because it's an eye-opener. Everybody thinks, somebody said to me the other day, oh, you know, once I turn 65, Medicare is just going to take care of everything. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> no, 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 it does not. And, and even so right now, it's Medicare open enrollment, right? You see all these crazy commercials on TV. You have to know the difference between original Medicare and all these Advantage plans that you see. Because the healthcare system and insurance companies are not necessarily your friend, right? And a lot of people who are healthy think, well, you know, I don't need a doctor. I don't need a primary care physician. Get involved in the healthcare system early. Even if you're not sick, get a primary yeah. care doctor. Get your blood work done because you may have health conditions that you have no idea that you have. And if you don't learn about them, you can't prevent them. And the doc in the box at Walgreens or wherever you go, CVS, is not going to follow you. Your, your, those records may never even get into your health record system. The healthcare system is so complicated, which is why consumers don't understand it. But the earlier that you can get involved in being proactive about your health and understanding, get a financial planner. I don't care if you can only save 20 bucks a month. Women, you have to do this because financial planners and, and financial planners have told me this. They're like, oh yeah, we see all these husbands. They ain't taking care of their wives. Because the accounts are in the husband's name. So women, mm. get your own accounts. And if you're going to take time off work, you make your husband buy you a long-term care insurance policy. You stand up for yourself. Do not think that men are going to take care of you when you're older because all the money is going to be spent on them. You're going to be that caregiver and you're going to be left with nothing. Oh, okay. Wait, Okay, I'm like, wait a minute. Can we dig into that more? Like, what do you notice? Not to say that all husbands or male partners don't take care. Because I know I can hear a male listening to the podcast now. Like, I, I would take care of my. <laughs> but what do you notice? Because you, you're. I mean, you're in this industry. You see yeah. all the. You see behind the scenes. So, what do you notice when it comes to the male female dynamic for couples? As the like when the women need something or they're sick, who's taking care of them? Because we know the women are usually taking care of the family. So if the woman in the relationship is getting sick, who's typically taking care of her? How does that sort of shift versus when the male is the one that's not well? So it could be a sister. So, I mean, if there are sisters, you know, siblings, siblings will take care of each other or friends honestly will step in. 
husbands are very, God bless them, uncomfortable, you know, with women things. And, and, you know, I mean, I've had sons, God bless them, some wonderful sons who like bathe their mothers and change their mother's diaper and all that kind of stuff. But men are very uncomfortable with that kind of stuff. And men do not like to go to the doctor, right? Mm. So, so God forbid, I'm gonna have to take my wife to the doctor because, because men do not, they'll be like dead before they go to the doctor. <laughs> so, so they're very uncomfortable with this stuff. So if you're a woman, most likely you're asking a friend to help you out. Not to say that your husband won't do things if he has to, but mm-hmm. most likely it's other, it's women helping women. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. And so I just had so many questions if that was because <laughs> you were saying that. And so, but I, I also think about our queer LGBTQIA plus families and what are some of the dynamics that you see within their family situation? So my sister is, is she lives in Portland. She's been gay all of her life. It's harder for them. So the healthcare system is very, let's just be honest, it's biased. It's yep. biased against women. They think women are hysterical and women make up all these health issues. You know, woman could be having a heart attack and a doctor's going to ignore her where if a man comes in and says, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack, he gets all the attention, right? Mm. People of other sexual orientation, all of that, even even people of color. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of bias and there's a lot of discrimination. Yeah. So, So you have to be very proactive. If a doctor is not paying attention to you, you go find another doctor. You fire them. You've got to find people in the healthcare system who will respect you for who you are and pay attention. But but as a woman, you also have to be factual. So here's kind of like the drama thing, right? Physicians are very factual. They can only treat you if you go in and say, I had a temperature of 104 or I've gained 20 pounds or I almost fainted yesterday. They are very, very factual. So if you go in, ah, ah, hysterical, they're like going to just, you know, they can't do anything with that, right? right? So so if you're working with the healthcare system, you've got to be factual, logical, take the facts in, take your blood pressure for 20 days, go in and say you got an issue. You have to be more, you almost kind of have to learn how to speak their language, which is impossible because they use all these medical terms, but you have to learn how they get reimbursed, right? They have to be able to diagnose you with a condition to get paid, right? Mm, They have to write you a prescription or give you a treatment or something. So you have to be that person that says, well, you know, maybe I don't want to take prescriptions. What can I do to change my health? You really have to learn how to advocate and again, find the providers who will work with you. You know, oh. and community health centers are a great place to go, <laughs> honestly. Okay, so then that the, the situation with providers raises another question, right? So for a lot of people who don't trust Western medicine, right? And rightfully so, but like mm-hmm. you said, it's a complicated system that's not necessarily set up to provide us with the best health care, right? Right. So what does caregiving look like when we're not using traditional Western doctors and hospitals and healthcare providers? So I have had, I had this couple, oh my gosh, they live to be a hundred. And I'm like, what, what have you guys done? And they're like, oh my God, we've been seeing a naturopath for years, right? 
But right. they also did all the good stuff, they exercised and everything. So so you have to do, and maybe it's a combination, right? So if you're going to mm-hmm. alternative medicine and it's not working, you have to really investigate like what is causing the health problem, okay? So so years ago, I had a, a person who had thyroid problems, right? And of course, the first thing the doctors wanted to do, they're like, well, we'll, we'll just take it out. And I'm like, bother. Let's figure out what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Well, this person had gone to Mexico and they got H. pylori, which affected their gastrointestinal system, which affected their thyroid. So they went on medication for a year, thyroid problem gone, H. pylori solved. So, so you really have to figure out like what, so I'm talking about naturopath, right? What is making you sick? Is it your environment? Is it something else? Is it stress? Is it, you know, is it something that can be cured in a different manner or do you have to go to traditional medicine to figure it out and fix it? And well, you're just a wealth of knowledge. I, the questions just yeah. keep coming. And I think this is just so interesting because again, we haven't talked about this on the podcast after 260 plus episodes. And so yeah. it's just, I'm trying to think of what would the listener want to know so we can dive into it. But I, I love to know, Pamela, when it comes to you being in this field or this industry, how has it impacted your life? Like, are there any rituals or practices that you are implementing in your own life because of what you've witnessed? We'd love to get the inside scoop. Yes. yes. So, so early on, I was that, well, I was a family caregiver, right? And then when I became what I call a professional caregiver, I used to worry about my clients, right? You're always worried about like, oh my God, what if they fall? What if they do this? What if they do that, right? And so you're stressed out all the time. And, and because I was on call 24-7, I mean, my phone would ring in the middle of the night. So, so you're just this very reactive person. So big thing is you got to have time for yourself. So I'm a big exerciser every day. It doesn't matter if I only go for a walk or I go for a hike or you know, I'm at the bike at the gym, whatever. I also do transcendental meditation. That has been a lifesaver for me. 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. You have to find a way to center yourself. And, and one of the biggest worries that your listeners probably would want to know is they're, they're like, well, how do we pay for care if there is no way to pay for care? You got to investigate your state Medicaid program and do it long before you even need to. If you think that your parents are going to run out of money, you got to have those honest conversations and go investigate and find out what it takes to qualify for those programs. Because there's look back periods. You can be disqualified financially if your parents give away money or if you take money from them. You can get help, right? But, but there, are, there are gates to get that help. If you know what those gates are early, then you can plan for it again versus being surprised at the last minute thinking, oh my God, my parents have no money. They can't live at home. How do I get them into a nursing home? That's probably, money is probably one of the biggest caregiver worries in addition to just the stress and nobody helping. Right. And right. the grief of like my loved one is getting sicker and sicker and I, I don't want them to die. Yeah. yeah. And so, Chimel, when you think about all that you have seen over the years, right? What are the things that you have, the, what are the conversations that you've had with your own family around this is what caregiving is going to look like in this household? So in my family, unfortunately, all of this happened before I even got into this field. So we were so naive. Oh my gosh. My mother was sick from the time I was 20. Hospitals, heart, things, all this stuff. There were six of us kids. My dad was older, right? We're thinking, 
oh, dad's going to die first. Mom will just move around the country. She'll come and live with us. She was having open heart surgery and we are not asking the right questions from the doctor. We're like, is she going to survive or not? Well, she didn't, right? She had open heart surgery. She cancer surgery. She passed away at age 69, unfortunately, from a lot of lifestyle issues too. But, but we were so naive. We had no idea. We were like, you know, wearing the rose-colored sunglasses, thinking everything was going to be okay. Because that's what you want to do as kids. You want to think yeah. everything's going to be okay. And a lot of times, so if you don't live in state, when you talk to your parents on the phone, they're going to be like, oh, everything is fine. And then you go home yep. and you're like, oh my God, everything is not fine. Mm-hmm. This is a mess. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, there's just so much. There's so much. And, and you, you've got to talk about health and care and money and all the uncomfortable subjects. I'm sure you have a bunch of resources on your website that can guide people as well. Because I feel like we're probably not going to get to all the questions that we yeah. want to tonight. But just to kind of shift into a, I guess, a positive perspective around this conversation, what would you say has been like the most rewarding aspects of caregiving that you've experienced in this role, whether it's your personal story or a, a beautiful story from someone that you've witnessed over the years? Oh my gosh, just all of the people I've met. I mean, I have met the most amazing older people and the most amazing caregivers. And I mean, I've been blessed. I mean, this was, this is not like, this chose me, right? <laughs> because of my family <laughs> life and everything yeah. that happened. And, and I'm going to advocate till the day I die for people. And I continue to learn every day about, you know, legislation and the fact that people should get involved because there's a lot of, you know, people complain about the government a lot and all this other kind of stuff because the government does control your healthcare. You may not know that, but they do. And so just, you know, the ability to know what I know and to continue learning and to continue to advocate. So I had a a millennial, right, on my YouTube channel before I came on here. And she's like, oh my gosh, they don't teach us this stuff in school. And she goes, and she goes, and I think that the healthcare system wants us to be dumb so they can take control. And I'm like, like, that's a very good perspective. I said, maybe (laughs) you should get more involved and investigate that a little bit. You know, yeah. it's it's just the things we don't learn until it's it's so late, you know, if we don't get involved early. Yeah. And so I'm curious, what has been the most surprising thing that you've learned in this process? Because I could imagine that after all these years, there's a lot that you've learned along the way. But what has been like the most surprising or shocking thing? that you've learned so far? You know, it's that the healthcare system has so much control, okay? And and good and bad, right? So so there's a lot of gates that they put into place, but but they treat everybody. So there's this thing called population health, right? If you're this and this and this and you're whatever, they treat everybody the same, which is risky if you are that 10% of the population that doesn't have this issue. And they're trying to say that you fall into this bucket. So, so the biggest thing that caregivers and anybody has to be aware of is that most of the clinical trials out there, they're all about men. They got nothing to do with women. So, so it's like you really have to understand your health and be willing to ask questions and say no if something is not right for you. Because, because the healthcare system is going to try to lump you in with everybody and treat you like everybody else. and and you may not be like everybody else. Wow, that is so problematic too to think about 
the fact that these trials are done on men and a Mostly lot of times black. Yeah. And a lot of times black people are not represented there either, right? right? Mm-hmm. So or p- other people of color as well. It's just like, no, oh, that's scary. Okay, Pamela, you have a book, The Caregiving Trap, Solutions for Life's Unexpected Changes. You have your podcast, you have online courses, anything. We can add those links in our show notes as well. Are there any Thank other you. books or resources you're welcome that you would recommend that listeners tune into to get more savvy about this topic? You know, so in general, so every county has an area office on aging. So, so that office on aging will have a lot of resources for you, as well as the County Department of Health and then community health centers. So there's this National Association of Community Health Centers. So regardless of whether you go to, you know, like your own primary care doctor or whatever, community health centers have a lot of other resources. So, so many of the things that affect health are not health related. Maybe your parents can't get transportation to a doctor appointment, or maybe they can't afford groceries, or maybe they're having trouble paying rent. Community health centers have access to a lot of resources. And it doesn't matter, you know, you may not necessarily have to go there, but you could pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm looking for this. Can you give me a resource for my parents who need transportation? Or they're not cooking and I need meals on wheels, or what other resources out there exist? So between community health centers and Area agencies on aging, there's a lot of resources out there that caregivers can investigate that can provide support. Family, friends, and Lumi whole body deodorant. These are just a few of the things I'm thankful for this year. Why? Because Lumi is a deodorant like no other. It was created by an OBGYN who discovered that BO isn't just an underarm thing. It's an all over thing. So, she developed a pH-optimized deodorant that's clinically proven to block odor everywhere. Not just your pits, but your privates, feet, and beyond. The best part? No matter where you use it, Lumi is proven to keep working for up to 72 hours. If three days of odor control isn't something to be thankful for, I don't know what is. Guess what, lady? We have a special offer just for you. New customers get $5 off Lumi Starter Pack with our exclusive code and link. Use code HERSPACE at LumiDeodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. Lady, let me tell you, Lumi Toasted Coconut smells amazing and works so well, especially on those days when I'm working hard in the gym. To be clear, it's not an antiperspirant, so I still sweat, which is a healthy body function, but there is no odor. Lumi Starter Pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice, like the mini body wash and deodorant wipes, which are perfect for your travels this holiday season, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code HERSPACE at LumiDeodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit LumiDeodorant.com and use HERSPACE. Thank you, Lumi, for making this holiday season smell a whole lot better. 
Thank, Thank you. you. Yes. <laughs> Who knew that all of these resources actually like, are out there? They're out there. It's just, it's the time. Caregivers will say, oh my God, I don't have time. I can't look it up. I don't have time. And I'm like, if you don't have time, you're going to continue to be like overburdened. You have to make the time and then you'll have more time. Yes. And, and so when you think about having the conversations, right, that like the families saying, okay, let's, let's talk to our parents and identify what this plan is going to look like. How does one get that conversation started? Because I, you know, again, I'm thinking about some of our audience who are in their twenties and thirties and they're like, my mom is 50. I'm not worried about having this conversation when she's 70. That's 20 years from now. We don't have to think about that. How do you initiate the conversation? So there is this perception that we are all going to live forever and none of us are going to die and we're going to have these wonderful retirements and it doesn't happen. So a lot of times what I will tell caregivers is, your parents don't want to be told what to do, okay? And they may think you're the 20-year-old who doesn't know anything, right? So what you have to do is you have to put it on yourself and you have to say, and, and may, you may have to like make a little bit of this up, right? But hey, mom or dad, I had this friend and oh my gosh, guess what happened to her parents and they didn't have a plan. Or, you know, I was doing some research and there's this YouTube channel because a lot of people will <laughs> send my videos to their parents. <laughs> and there's this lady oh. on YouTube who's talking about this. What do you think about planning for this? Now, Now the perspective will be if those parents cared for their parents, right? They'll be more likely to want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes yeah. there's a lot of denial and parents are going to say, oh, we don't need to talk about this. You know, it's not going to happen for 20 more years. So you as that younger adult may have to start honestly making your own plan. Like, hey, mom, I'm, I just set up primary care doctor. Do you have one? I'm looking at long-term care insurance. Did you guys buy any of this for yourself? Have you thought about it? So you almost have to like kind of create the plan for yourself and then bring your parents in on your plan so that they get interested about planning. That is so good. Like so that. good. Yeah. I definitely feel like a lot of older people that I've chatted with in my life have been like, oh, it's not going to happen. I have more time. And then you don't have time, right? And then you're trying to scramble around to figure things out. Any one of us three may not <sighs> wake up tomorrow. I mean, exactly. That's, that's the reality. I just did yeah. not know. Exactly. Yeah. It's so true. Pamela, are there any questions that we did not ask you that you either wish we did or a topic or question that you just want to share or shed some light on? You know, probably the, I'm going to go into a little bit of the legal stuff. So, so a lot of people don't understand, like, why would I need, you know, a medical power of attorney or a financial power of attorney or even a living will? And, and let's talk about Let's talk about the living will. So because of COVID, right? You heard a lot about like ventilators and people needing all this life support and stuff. Well, if you don't have this document that says, I don't want this or I don't want that, then healthcare systems have to keep you alive on machines, right? So so it's good to understand the extent to which you want to be kept alive, but also the fact that the medical system makes mistakes, okay? So there's this, there's this green form that you get from your doctor and it's called a most form, medical scope of treatment. And, and one of my clients, so filled it out and she's like, no, I don't want a feeding tube. Well, she broke her hip and she had surgery. And so they had to intubate her. And when she woke up, she couldn't swallow. 
And the doctors are like, she can't swallow. And I'm like, you're going to put in a feeding tube. And they're like, Mm-mm-mm. she's got this form that says no feeding tube. And I'm like, yeah, but you harmed her. So if this doesn't resolve in a few days, you're going to put in a feeding tube so that we can get her through this and do some therapy and then she can eat and swallow again. So you've got to realize that there's a lot of mistakes out there in medical records. So every state has what's called a health information exchange. Your information is in there. But that doesn't mean that it's accurate. And Mm. one doctor may not have the same records as the other records. So you really have to be the steward of your health information and to be very clear on what you want for treatment and not want for treatment, but also understand that doctors make mistakes. Stuff goes wrong all the time. They prescribe a medication that you have a reaction to. You're going into surgery and you need right shoulder surgery, but they do the left. You would be shocked. Yes. Oh my goodness. I've heard those stories too, where they had the wrong limb or limb or, oh my gosh, that's so scary. So take control control of your health (laughs) and your information. So question about that, because that's a lot. And so I can imagine someone, speak for myself over here, looking at that paperwork. the whole PhD over here, but my PhD is not, is not a medical degree. And so I, I don't understand, don't understand the legal jargon and don't understand the medical jargon. Who do I talk to to have them break it down in the simplest form so that I understand the decisions that I'm making? Well, first of all, you have to be okay with asking. So a lot of people don't, they, they feel like I'm stupid. I don't want to ask, you know, and, and the doctor's problem is the doctors assume that if you don't ask, you know what they're talking about. Usually there is a nurse, sometimes a social worker in your doctor's office that you can call and say, hey, I don't understand this. Can you explain it to me? Or if you get lab work, make another appointment with your doctor. And, and for these, you can do virtual appointments and say, look, can you explain to me what all these numbers mean? This looks high. This looks low. What does that mean? What's the long-term effect? Because what people don't ask is, people don't ask the consequences. So it's like, okay, you have high blood pressure, you should take a medication. Well, what can I do not to take that medication? And if I have high blood pressure, what's the next condition I'm going to get? So people who have high blood pressure often can get diabetes or they can have some other condition. So once you have one of these chronic diseases, one turns into the next and the next and the next, unless you do something to stop it. So, so to your point, you want to understand your records and have, and ask people to explain them to you, even if you got to make another doctor appointment to do it. And older people, so through Medicare, there's this thing called this annual wellness visit that Medicare pays for. That's an extended visit where you can talk to your doctor about everything. Like I have this condition. What does that mean? Why do I have to take this medication? It's, it's a longer visit to do that for older people. Oh, okay, Pamela, you, we appreciate you so much. This yes. has been extremely insightful. And at the same time, I'm sure that the sentiment that I feel the audience is going to resonate with, I feel informed. Yeah. I feel grateful for this conversation. And I also feel a little overwhelmed. So for someone yeah. who has never had a conversation like this, who has not had this conversation with parents, you know, we're in our thirties and forties and I'm sure we have women from people from all over the globe that are different age ranges. Let's say we have not had done any of this legwork. What would three feasible next steps be for us that are 
digestible that we can we can tackle in like the next couple of weeks. So for yourself, right? It's so either for yourself or for a parent, understand your health conditions. Even if you think you're healthy, right? And you don't have a primary care doctor, go get one. Or if your parents are having health issues, try to just understand, like if they're taking medications, why are they taking medications? Just try to understand what's going on. And and there are disease-specific organizations out there. So like, you know, the American Heart Association can talk to you about high blood pressure. Just, you know, pick one. Maybe like my parent has this and I need to learn about this and why they take this medication. Just do one little thing. And again, if you don't have a primary care doctor, do one little thing and get yourself one and go do an annual physical. And just find out if you're healthy or maybe there's something you should know about. Little self-care. Yes, goes a long way. And yes, it Uh, does. Thank you so much, Pamela. This was such a great conversation. We appreciate you. We'll be sure to add links to all of your platforms. Feel free to also just reiterate to our audience where they can find you, how they can connect with you, how they can support you and all that good stuff as well. So website is Pamela D, letter D, Wilson.com. And I do that because there's a doctor out there with my name and I I try not to get confused because I'm not a medical doctor. Yes. (laughs) And then my YouTube channel is Pamela is, is, Pamela D. Wilson, Caregiving Expert. So that's my handle on most things. So over 800 videos there. You can Google The Caring Generation. It's the podcast. But, you know, again, for a lot of people, if you go to my website and how I help, there's that Caring for Aging Parents course. It's it's 60 hours. It's so detailed. It's all my care management stuff. There'll be stuff you don't understand, but some of it may start to make sense. It's very course-like, though. You got to be warning, you know, caveat. (laughs) It's educational. It's not entertaining. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pamela. Thank you, ladies, for doing this. I so appreciate how you support women and everything that you do. Your podcast is amazing. I've listened to some episodes. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. (laughs) Hey, lady. It's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com. That's D-R-D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for joining us today. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website at herspacepodcast.com and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me. Every dream within me exists because it's possible.